Please open your Bibles today with me uh, to the book of Colossians this morning. Brother Jason and I have not spoken about what I am preaching on this morning, but the title of my message is, is to let's count our blessings this morning. So let's go to chapter number one of the book of Colossians, and please keep your Bible open there. Uh, you know, the psalmist uh, has encouraged us in Psalm 103. He says that we should bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Amen. And so Paul, I think probably in all of his church epistles that we have in the New Testament, of course, by, written by him, I think the book of Colossians probably has the word thanksgiving and being thankful and the exhortation to be thankful probably more than any of the books that he uh, had written in the New Testament. You'll find six times in four chapters he exhorts us to be thankful and he mentioned a few things that we should start counting as far as our blessings are concerned. And what I appreciate about it is the fact that these blessings should be counted because they are not determined by the circumstances that are going on in my life today or tomorrow or next week, that I have some blessings I can be thankful for. Now, I want you to look with me in Colossians chapter number number 1. If you mark in your Bible, would you highlight the word thankful or thanksgiving here in, um, in as we go through this? I'm going to do this quickly, six times. Chapter 1, verse 3, he said, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And look in chapter 1, verse 12. He said, giving thanks unto the Father. And then look in chapter number 2 and verse number 7. He said, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just leaking out of you. When somebody bumps into you, it seems like you always have an attitude of gratitude. When you are abounding with thanksgiving, man, that's just, it's just oozing out of you. What an attitude. What a blessing to be around somebody that's like that. Look in chapter 3, verse 15. The Word of God says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. And he says, And be ye thankful. Chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. All right, let me direct your attention back, if you would, please, to chapter number 1. The Apostle Paul's continual exhortation to them and to us is for us to develop and express a growing attitude of gratitude that is just really continual and abundant. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now I want you to notice carefully though in chapter number 1 and verse 3 and in verse 12, if you will notice the direction of the thanks here. The Bible says we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father. I think that in order for you to be thankful horizontally, that you're going to have to focus on, first of all, being thankful vertically. 
And I think that Paul wanted us to establish that in our hearts, that if you and I get up each day and we are thankful unto God the Father for what He has done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord, that it will help us in our mental disposition in dealing with the people that are around us and it will help us to be more thankful in this direction. But if you're not thankful in this direction, I doubt you're going to be thankful in this direction. So he makes that very clear. I think the direction is important. And I think if we can abound in thanksgiving to the one that is above us, it will help us to be thankful for those who are around us. For example, you'll notice that um, if you read through the New Testament, when you get to the book of Philippians, Paul makes the comment, he said, I thank my God, I thank my God, that's in that direction, upon every remembrance of you. That's in this direction. And if you can thank God, you can thank God for one another. Have you? Have you thanked God for one another and for your family, for your church family? I want you to not only notice the direction of this thanksgiving, but I want you to look carefully at the distinction of the group that's being addressed. He said in verse 3 of chapter 1, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints and for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Would you say that's a pretty distinct group that he's addressing here? I noticed that he brought out their experience. He said, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that they had been born again, that at some place and some point in their life, they had placed their faith in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross for their salvation. Now, that is an experience. They say that there are a few great experiences in a person's life. One certainly would be him being born. The other one would be, of course, him eventually graduating from high school. You never think you're going to do that when you're in the seventh grade. And then, of course, getting married. That's a great experience. I hope that it has been and will be for you. But the greatest experience in life is not your first birth, which is celebrated yearly whether people like you or not. But it's your second birth. Your second birth. So you have to ask yourself, have I been born again? Do I belong in this group that he's referring to? Their experience is their faith in Christ Jesus because these other things I'm going to mention are not for everybody. When we start counting our benefits and our blessings, they're not for everybody out there. It is for those who have experienced and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that experience, he said, you know what? There's some evidence of it. He said in verse number uh, four, he said, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Look at verse eight. Who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. Have I been born again? Yes. What is the evidence of that new birth? Men may have their own list of things, but what Paul noticed was, was their love for 
the brethren. Because when you love each other, all that other stuff begins to take care of itself. If you can love, can overcome a multitude of faults. And love can cover even a multitude of sins. The love that God sheds abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. All right, you'll notice this group he's referring to is their experience in Christ Jesus, the evidence of their love for the brethren, and then look again in verse 5. Look at their expectation. He said, for the hope, and that hope there he means with strong confidence, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. This group that he's addressing here have had the experience of the new birth, They're showing evidence of this by their love for each other. And they all have this expectation that the Lord is going to come back. Or if they die, they'll go be with the Lord. This is expressed also, if you would look over in chapter number 3. Look in verse number 4. The scripture says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. There's some expectation there. This is a particular group, would you agree, that he's referring to here. I'm going to say to the church, you know, that you should be thankful that God has saved you, has shed abroad in your heart the love of God, and that he's given you a name and a place and a home in heaven. John said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What a blessing it is for somebody to call me a child of God. And he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, I want you to look with me again in chapter 1. Look with me in verse number 9. I had asked you to look at the direction of this thanksgiving. It's heaven. It's heavenward. It's toward the Father. And the distinction of the group he's dealing with is the children of God. But you notice his desire for their development, and this is what I want. This is the platform of the message this morning, is this thought. Look in verse 9. He now, he, he desires for their development. You'll notice in verse 9, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Does it offend you when somebody tells you, hey, I'm praying for you? Oh, yeah. Uh, what, do you think I need prayer? Is there something wrong? Have you noticed something about me? That Am I fixing to die? Do you know something I don't know? That's the way people act when somebody says, I'm praying for you. You know, like as if that person is superior to you, and so they're looking down upon you, and so they're praying for you. No, that's not the attitude Paul has. When somebody prays for you, that's one of the greatest things in the world they could ever do for you, is to carry your name before the throne of grace, pray for you. Verse 9 says, he said, I'm praying for you, And and his desire was that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. So his desire, I see three things here of their growth. That's important. I'll try to illustrate that in just a moment. He wanted them to increase in knowledge. This all has to do now with counting your blessings. This all has to do with you having an attitude of gratitude. Knowledge of His will and His ways. You need to increase in your knowledge of God. Do you agree with that? 
and your growth in that you would become fruitful and increase in the knowledge of God. And then he mentioned your strength or your maturity. Remember 1 John 2, 19 says, verse 14 says, I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. What's that got to do with being thankful? Well, would you agree that baby Christians, immature Christians, weak Christians, underdeveloped Christians are whiners and complainers? And more often are part of the church's problems than they are the solutions. Because they lack knowledge, they lack growth, and they lack maturity and strength. That's not that, you know, that's true in the natural world with a child. You don't throw the child out the house just because he aggravates you. You just try to be patient with him, help him to grow, and love on him, and watch life kind of bump him around a little bit until he grows up a little bit, and then he's a little bit more thankful for mom and dad some of the things that they provided. Amen. Life has a way of teaching you some things. Whether you volunteer for it or not, it has a way of teaching you some things. But you know what the psalmist said? David said this about himself. He said, you know, surely I have behaved and quieted myself. Now, you know that you're growing up a little bit when you've learned to quiet yourself. That's some restraint. That's when you feel like murmuring and complaining, but you say, no, that's not the right thing to do. No. He said, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. He said, my soul is even as a weaned child. He said, man, I've, I've grown enough to where that murmuring and whining and complaining is not my regular vocabulary. I don't think you'd ever say he never did that, but I'd say it wasn't his regular vocabulary. And he exhorted us continually in the Psalms to enter in the presence of God with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. So, by way of illustration, <clears throat> I'm gonna, I wanna look at chapter number one here for just a moment, verse 12, where it says, giving thanks unto the Father. Now I'm gonna give you a list of things, of benefits, that you should thank God for continually. Continually. Daily. Weekly. Monthly. Alright? And not based upon your performance, but upon the performance of Christ. Not based upon your circumstances, but upon his faithfulness to you. I'm going to ask Luke Laird to come up here just a minute. Luke, come on up here, buddy. Come on up here, if you would. All right. Now, I'm going to... uh, Come on up here, buddy. I promise you, it's okay. Come on up here, little man. All right. You're doing a good job. Turn around right around here. It's kind of scary looking out there, isn't it? It's okay, he's hugging on to me, all right. Now, I'm going to, um, just for a moment, pretend that, brother, I, I have adopted Brother Doug as my son. And this is part of his seed. This is now my grandson. And so I'm going to give him a benefit package that will belong to him based upon his dad's relationship with me and my love for his dad. And then, of course, my, my love for him. Okay? So I'm going to give this to him. Now, you see how young he is. And so I'm going to open up this benefit package, and I'm going to read to him 
his benef- some of his benefits that some he can experience now, some will be later as he grows up. So now you have some stocks. Does that matter to you? No, he doesn't even know what that is, does he? <laughs> I ha- and some bonds. Some overseas investments. Some real estate. Aren't you glad you got some real estate? <laughs> some precious metals. Some annuities. Well, that's a big word. Son, you have got some annuities. I want you to go home and rejoice about that when you get home. I want you to tell your mom and dad, thank God I have some annuities. Some life insurance policies, a money market account, some mutual funds, an IRA, a 401k. That sounds like a video game, doesn't it, son? A house on Fountain View, land with mineral rights, and several trust in your name. Now, this all belongs to you now because your dad belongs to me. Okay? Now, do you think he understands that? Why? He lacks knowledge. He lacks experience. He lacks growth. You agree? But it doesn't take away his benefits, does it? It just takes away his appreciation for those benefits, right? So I put one in there that he could appreciate, all right? So every once in a while, God will give you something, even when you're a baby Christian, that, you know what? Hey, I can appreciate that. You want that? Are uh, you sure? Okay. <laughs> all right, that's yours, okay? All right, I'll let your dad explain other stuff to you. All right, okay. All right, be careful going down there. Thank you, okay? Now... In real life, if he had those things, you know, as a 50 or 60 or 70-year-old man closer to the grave, you know how valuable those things are, don't you? But as a maybe a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or even a 15-year-old, that stuff is just words to you, right? Do you know the reason why some of you struggle so much with depression and discouragement and you don't really have an attitude of gratitude like you ought to is because you really don't take the time to read what God has put in your envelope. Now, as he gets older and, and his mother and dad teach him and he and he's educated, becomes educated, it's really going to take some initiative on his part, though, to be able to look through that to really understand the benefits. I've been reading about some of those things for the past 20, 30 years, and I still don't comprehend all of the value of some of the things that I just mentioned to you. But I know that if you gave me a stack full of them, I'd be happy about it. I do understand enough about that. All right, so I want you to look in Colossians 1. So how much did this young man understand what I just read to him? Very little. Did you know there's some things in your Bible that you're reading right now that you don't completely understand? But it does not diminish the value of what you're reading. And how much does he appreciate what's been given to him? I bet you he's excited about that dollar bill. But not the other stuff. Amen? I wonder how long it will take him to study and check it out and research it and be able to really enjoy what he's got. 
Because some of that stuff he could use right now, like that money market account. He could reach into that money market account, pull some of that out, and use it today. Some of the other stuff, maybe not. But what I want you to see here is, I need you to count your blessings. And so even on a bad day when it's cloudy and rainy, and he doesn't get what he wants, and his brothers and sisters are irritating him at the house, what's in that package does not change because of his circumstances. What's in that package is not based upon his performance. It's a based, based, been based upon my goodness and my grace to give that to him because of who he belongs to. Do you understand where I'm going with this? All right, let me give this to you quickly. If you're taking notes, I pray that you will. If not, I pray you'll listen to this again. I pray that you'll go back and listen to this. It'll help you to stop some of your whining. It'll help you to stop some of your criticism. It'll help you to be able to get out of the the dumps. It'll help you. Now look with me in chapter number one. I'm not saying you're in there. I'm saying if you get in there, you can get out. Praise and thanksgiving will get you out of a lot of places. Look in chapter 1, verse number 12. Now, I'm going I'm to give you uh, this benefit package, and I'm going to go through it quick. Each one of these could be a sermon to themselves. But man, you're blessed. You are awesomely blessed in Christ Jesus. Every morning you should get up and lift up your hands toward your heavenly Father and say, Dear God, I don't feel good today, but I want to thank you for what you have given me in Christ Jesus. And Lord, today my kids are not acting right, but I want to praise you for what you've given me in Christ Jesus. You base your life on all that other stuff, you're going to be like a a yo-yo, up and down, up and down, up and down. You don't want to be that way. All right, let's hurry. Okay, look in verse number 12. The first word here, he says, give thanks unto the Father. He said, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. That's a big word. That word meet, it it has the meaning of now God has given you value and worth and he's made you sufficient to be a part of the inheritance of the saints in light. And in other words, the word in Ephesians is the word accepted. And what it means is by the imputed righteousness of Christ. You had none of your own. And when God saved you, He took the righteousness of Christ, miraculously, graciously, imputed that or placed that to your account. It's sort of like in the book of 1 Timothy uh, where he talks about having, or 2 Timothy, where he talks about having, being a vessel that has been washed. And he's talking about some earthly vessels and some, and, uh, and, and some other kind of vessels like gold and silver. He said, he said, when you take some of those vessels and you wash them and you purify them, now they are meat for the master's use. And what God did for you and I was, is that He did do those things to us. He is the one who made us accepted or acceptable to be made sufficient. Verse number 12, He says, which hath made us meet 
to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Your inheritance is based upon the fact that God made you sufficient to be able to participate in this inheritance. Number two is in verse number 13, the word deliverance. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. You should thank God that you have been accepted, made acceptable, and meet. All right, second thing is, you say, well, I I don't really, that don't really do much for me. Well, probably if I gave you something that said, here's some stocks and bonds, that might not thrill your soul. But when it comes time to when it matters, you'll be excited about it. All right, and verse number 13, he says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. You see that? Delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, this is a two-sided coin here. He delivered you from the power of darkness. And the, and the third thing here is, he translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, would you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment? Oh, you know what you ought to thank God for this morning? The fact that you've been delivered. The word deliverance there means to save. And it means to rescue you and also to preserve you. What a blessing that is. He uses the term darkness. There is a natural darkness. Like when the sun sets, there is a natural darkness. There, if you're blind, there is a physical darkness. But there also, according to the Bible, there is a mental darkness. There is a spiritual darkness. Men may be able to provide artificial light when the natural darkness comes upon us. Thank God for lights. But they cannot make the sun rise. They don't have the power to do that. And you might have some problems seeing and they might do a surgery on you and now you can see once again. But nobody can remove this mental and spiritual darkness except the power of God. You understand? The reason why you see some of the people demonstrating in our streets and voting the way they have voted and saying some of the things that they have said and doing some of the things that they're doing is because their mind and their mental uh, capacity is dark. Would you look in chapter 4, please? You know, if I was a blind man and then God miraculously came by and opened my eyes and it would have to be God that did it because no man could do it, I think it would be very hard for me to be critical of another blind man knowing that I did not make myself see. Sinners are going to act like sinners. And sometimes you can self-righteously condemn them for what they are and what they do. But you need to thank God, look at the other direction, and thank God that you can see. Look what he says in chapter 4. And he said in verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And that's what they do. Their minds are full of vain thoughts. They want to get get rid of the creation truth in our schools. They want to get rid of normal families, of a husband and a wife, of a male and a female. 
They want to discredit. I saw yesterday where that the LGBTQXYZ is is imploring this new government they think is coming to put pressure on the Christian schools and remove all of their accreditation that they possibly may possess because of what they teach concerning the Bible in this realm. They hate you. They hate God. But now remember, the reason why that you know this is foolishness is because God one day opened your eyes. You understand? That's why you ought to thank Him. You don't thank Him that you're that you are more righteous than they are. You thank Him for the fact that He's had grace upon you and He opened your eyes that you could see the truth. See, darkness, the devil, the darkness has to do with deceit. His power lies in deceiving. Look at this. Look in verse 18. Having the understanding darkened. Do you have any kin folks whose minds and understanding is dark? When you try to talk to them about politics or you talk to them about religion, it becomes sometimes a little strained. And it's not about opinion. It's about right or wrong, black or white. Look in verse number 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. They are ignorant. Doesn't mean stupid. Ignorant. Uninformed. He said, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Christ has opened your eyes. You know what Paul said about the power of the gospel? Why, Brother Lauren, it's important that we witness and care about the souls of men. Because there's something about the gospel that has the power. It's a spearhead into the dark. He said in Acts 26, 17 and 18, he said it has the power to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God. Now, let me focus on not them, but you. Do you realize that what God has done for you through Christ Jesus, he has opened your eyes? And that he, through the power of the gospel, that he has turned you from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. Don't you think maybe that that's worth a thank you every once in a while toward heaven for what God has done for you? All right, go back to our text in Colossians 1 real quick. told you it's a two-sided coin. Deliverance, but he also uses that word translated. All right, look in verse number... 13, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, when you hear the word translated, you probably think about translating the Bible, but think of the biblical word, look it up, study it out. The word translated, you know where it's used two or three times in one verse or two verses? It's about Enoch. Remember when he was uh, following the Lord and the Bible says that one day he was and then one day he was not? The Bible says, for the Lord translated him. And then the scripture says that before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased the Lord. All right, so we know that there is a physical translation that can take place. 
In other words, Enoch was walking one day and in this world, and then the next moment he was walking with God in another realm and another dimension. Do you agree with that? Okay. Now, not only did that happen once, but it'll happen again. Because that's the word that we like to use concerning the rapture. That one day that we will be raptured out of here or translated, removed from this world and then into another world. We believe that's going to happen. But there's also a spiritual translation that takes place. In other words, where that when God saves a man, God translates him from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now you have a higher authority. Now you follow a, another set of, this, this, this is your true bylaws and constitution that you have to follow. You follow the other ones as much as you can. But when they conflict with the king that you now belong to, you have to obey this king. Amen? But if you'll follow your king, you'll be an asset to this world as well. All right? This book doesn't make you a rebel. Okay, it, it, but, it, but there are times when you do have to stand. It's all in the attitude. All right, but you'll notice he says here in Colossians chapter 1, God has delivered you. You can now see. You can read your Bible and understand much of it. And now he's translated you into the kingdom of light. He said you were in darkness, now you are a child of the light. How about that passage, if any man be in Christ, he is a... He's a new creature, a new creature. He said, all things are passed away. He said, behold, all things become new. And now you are walking to a different beat. You are now walking to a different commander. Every morning that I arise, I am subjected to the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. And I am asking him to guide my footsteps and guard my lips and help me to please him. And all those things. Do you thank God that you've been translated into the kingdom? Here's what he says. You've been translated in the kingdom of his dear son. You belong now to the kingdom of light. You now walk and see and hear and can perceive things that other people out there cannot see and do not understand. You ought to praise God for that. Not be self-righteous about it. You ought to praise God for it. All right, quickly. Notice he says then in verse number 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So he's made you meet. He's delivered you. He's translated you. Now he says we have been redeemed. That word redeemed means that, that um, to release someone for payment. Now, That means at some point you were in bondage and either you had to pay yourself out of bondage or somebody else paid you out of bondage. The reason why you don't want people to die without Christ is because the wages of sin is death and the wrath of God is awaiting those who have not been born again. The wrath of God, justly so, justly so. God does not pour His wrath out upon people who are innocent and pure. The wrath of God. But the word redeemed, it is 
a payment that has been made for the condemnation of sin and its wages. Did you pay for yours? No, you did not. You know why? Because your wages, what you have is insufficient. The Bible says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this thing about redemption. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, you and I were bought with a price. Do you know what that price was? According to 1 Peter chapter 1, it certainly wasn't with corruptible things. He said, but it was with the precious blood of Christ. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Do you ever sing that to Him? Do you ever just walk around sometimes and just sing unto the Lord and say, God, thank you so much for imputing to me the righteousness of your Son, making me meet, making me acceptable in your sight. You see, I gave these things to Luke because of my love for Doug. Do you know that that next thing right there, it says even the forgiveness of sin? Did you know the Bible says that the reason why your sins and my sins have been forgiven is for His name's sake? Talking about Jesus? For Jesus' namesake. All right, look in Colossians 1 again. And I've given you seven things and I'm almost done. Meat, meat is the word, word meat is used. M-E-E-T. The word deliverance, the word translated, the word redeemed, the word forgiven. A dismissal of the charges. A release from the just penalty. That has been placed upon me. As he gets older, if that was a real benefit package that he has, as he gets older and he begins to look through those things, he's going to say, wow, man, whoa. The scripture says in Psalm 103, talking about God the Father, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. He said, well, Brother Rod, you're supposed to reap what you sow. That is true. But did you know there's a such thing as the mercy of God that you don't, you don't get what you deserve. And you don't deserve what you get. <laughs> That's the grace of God. So he did forgive you. Have you ever just gotten up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to thank you for forgiving me of my sins? I don't know about you, but I like guilt-free living. I like guilt-free living. Because here's what happens. As you get older and you read your Bible, you're going to find out it, it, sin becomes more magnified as you learn your Bible and begin to realize really what a sinner you really are. And as a result of that, even some of the things you've done in the past, the adversary will go back into your past and rattle some of those skeletons that are in your closet. Now, the Holy Ghost will sometimes take you back and let you look at some of those skeletons, but it is not to rattle them. It is to remind you. And then he brings you back to what Christ has done for you. The devil will keep you there and accuse you and make you feel bad because you can't undo some of the things that you've done. But to know that you've been forgiven... Know the price has been paid. Know that now you stand righteous in the eyes of God because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
What a benefit package. It says now, let's move on. Two more here. You'll notice it says this. Look in chapter 1, verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he what? Reconciled. I love the doctrine of reconciliation. I don't completely understand it. I've been trying to preach it for 40 years. I understand a little bit of it. I do. But I know this. The word reconcile means to change from one condition to another and so as to remove all enmity and leave no barriers to unity and peace between the two parties. And that means that it is possible for me to be reconciled to a holy God for me to be at unity with Him and at peace with Him, and that He and I can now be friends, have a relationship, and that that we can commune one with another. Man, what an awesome thing that is. To be reconciled unto God. The Bible says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. What I appreciate about it, Brother Scott, is that God's the one who initiated this reconciliation. According, you ought to read 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, where it tells you that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. And also it mentions in Romans chapter number 5 that God loved us while we were yet his enemies. That's an awesome love. And last of all, I want you to look in verse 22. I want you to look at what I would refer to as our sanctification and preservation. The Bible says in verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death. Talking about what Jesus did on the cross. He's talking about it being reconciled by what Jesus did on the cross. And he's telling these people here at this church at Colossae that they ought to thank God continually. They should abound in thanksgiving. They should praise His holy name. And when he gets to chapter number 2, he warns them about talking to people who will rob them of their blessings in Christ Jesus with some of their religious philosophies and pharisaical ways. And you ought to thank God for Christ Jesus. And he says this in verse 22 in the body of his flesh through death to present you and me holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 real quick. I'm going to show you a few more verses and then we're going to sing a song together. All right? 1 Peter chapter number 1. Turn over there with me, please. He sums it up real good here in the gospel about this thing, being sanctified. Do you understand what I mean by that word sanctified? That means being set apart. That you've been set apart and you belong to God. Pharisees can separate themselves without separating themselves unto God. Someone said that the Pharisees were separated from sinners, but not from sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ was separated from sin, but not from sinners. Amen. I like to be like Him. First Peter chapter 1. Notice what he says here in verse number 3. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us 
again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. It appears to me that regardless of what happens tomorrow on the news politically, economically, it does not take away what God has done for me and you. Verse 4 says, To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Watching my mother-in-law die slowly for months. These truths become more precious to a person who is about to cross over. And some of the things that that young man that I put in that envelope doesn't matter to him when he's a teenager, but when he gets ready to retire, it's going to mean all the world to him. Some of these things you don't understand the value, but when you get ready to cross over, you will appreciate the value of what I just read to you that Jesus did for you. This is not a fairy tale. And he says in verse number, see the reason why sometimes you don't appreciate it because you think you're going to live tomorrow. But you know not what a day may bring forth. You know not when death may come knocking or when somebody coming down this highway that's messing with their phone or full of dope and they cross over and they hit right straight into your car and then instantly you're stepping off into the next world. And then God begins to open up the benefit package. You say, wow. If I'd have realized how precious that was, I think I'd have had a better attitude when I was back there on earth, Lord. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for being such a whiner and a complainer. God, you were good to me and I didn't appreciate it. I feel that way sometimes toward him. I'm ashamed of myself. You'll notice in verse number five, he says, these are the ones who are kept by the power of God not by the power of self. By the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now he admits, he admits this, church, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness. Life will bring seasons of heaviness. It doesn't change the reality of the blessings that God has for me and you. That there will be seasons that come and go. All right, let me show you two more verses. I'm going to ask Brother Jason if he would come up here and get ready. I'm going to ask our musicians if you would to make your way up here. All right, all of our musicians. We're going to sing a song together. I think it will be a blessing to you. But I want you to turn to two more passages of Scripture. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. If you will be thankful and count your blessings... Turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1. If you will learn to count your blessings, and these are seven benefits. You've been made meet. You've been delivered. You've been translated. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been reconciled. And you've been sanctified and preserved. That's a pretty good package. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's good for now. In verse 12, chapter 1 verse 12, He said, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able 
to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That is his confession of confidence, of giving his soul to Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, look over in chapter number 4. As time progresses and as he gets closer to crossing over, chapter 4, verse number 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul had confidence at his beginning when he committed himself. And to the young Christian here, have complete confidence that what you've committed to God, he is able to keep his promises. What a blessing. And it's not based upon you. And those of you who are getting up in years or maybe you realize that life is short and uncertain. Be confident that God will not, won't be like some of these, um, some of these folks in Washington who have taken money out of your check your whole lifetime and called it Social Security. And then when they desire that they want to cut it or take some of it, they just do it. And they lie. Not like God. God is not like that. I hope that you'll be thankful. I hope you'll count your blessings and you'll name them one by one. Go down through there and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'll stop right there and I'll just thank the Lord Jesus for loving his Father and being obedient to him even under the death of the cross. And for his faith he expressed by yielding himself to the cross, believing that the power of the Holy Ghost would raise him up from that grave. I thank him today. I pray. Sing with me from your heart, would you? Let's stand together. Brother, what number is it? 511. Would you sing unto the Lord? Would you sing unto the Lord? My prayer for you. It's Paul's prayer for the saints at Colossae that you would increase in your knowledge. Have you ever gotten a contract and just glanced over it and then signed it? But that you wish you had somebody that really read the details and paid attention to all the stuff that's inside of it and would really know what's really happening? If I wanted somebody to look at the details... And pay attention to the details of what I have. I'd I'd have Mark Keller do that for me. I would. But he's done it for the church with with, with, uh, Suddenlink and all that. Said, hey, here's what you said. Learn it. Increase in knowledge. Increase in your growth and your increase in your knowledge of God. Love Him. Thank Him. Praise Him. Things are going to get darker and worse before Jesus comes. Doesn't mean you can't be thankful for what he's done for you. Now let's sing together unto the Lord.